This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Welcome to the Hollywood Raw Podcast. I'm Dax Holtz. Joined by Adam Glenn. Hello. Hey, y'all. What's up? (laughs) What's up, Dax? How are you, buddy? I'm so stoked right now, dude. I am. Why are you so? Tell them why you are excited, excited. my friend. It's because what are we? What? I'm sorry. Who's the number one entertainment news podcast in America right now? And also Australia and Canada and Slovenia and Slovenia. Rica. We are, dude. Hollywood yeah. Raw. That's crazy. <laughs> How it's crazy so cool. is that? It's I, so I, cool, dude. It really is. I cannot believe it. When I refreshed the charts, which I do 90 times a day, and I saw us go to number one, it was a big accomplishment. I mean, listen, we've been working hard. We've been busting our ass at this. Um, and we're finally, I feel like, kind of making some strides ahead, and people are listening and subscribing, and and I see the, the ratings are coming in, which, by the way, I... I Listen, people, I actually do go and I read your like customer ratings and he does reviews. And one of the ones we got from iCatnik said, Adam Glenn is the best street journalist in the business. Always knows his stuff and celebrities. I love him so he always gets the best scoop. Let me know that guy's Venmo. Like I'm supposed to Venmo him. So I I appreciate that. Dude, it's been great. I mean, uh, the reviews have been awesome. Keep doing them. But it's just crazy because we've been busting our ass on this for a while now. And here we are, two guys with the help of a, a Parkville Media. They've been great to us, Pat. It's been fantastic. It's been really, really cool. But, you know... We're going against some major outlets. We're going against E in these huge radio companies Disney. that have these. Yeah, Disney right. we're going against. And we're just two guys just trying to work hard. And because of you guys, we became the number one podcast for entertainment news in America and then as well as other countries. And uh, I mean, dude, we're going to have to go to Slovenia soon. We're, we're going to be stopped in Slovenia <laughs> soon. Are you kidding me? It is really funny. Like uh, India, by the way, we were, I think, number two in India. We are one for... I think a couple days, and now we're number two. But I'm pretty stoked we're that high up in all these foreign countries. This is amazing. Yeah. Um, and I just again thank you to all the people out there that are that are helping us and listening, and we're really having a good time. So thank and, you. And and it yeah. really helps out when you guys write a review and subscribe. You don't have to listen. Just subscribe, download <laughs> to the ones you like, but write a review. It helps out it's on the charts. And because you did that, we became number one this year. This past week so we're insanely grateful for you guys we appreciate it we made some big news we're in new york post the daily mail just jared cosmopolitan i mean these some of these interviews have been going crazy in the news uh this past few weeks and that's because of you guys so we're really appreciative and uh today i'm excited for today's podcast because this person as someone who i've been binge watching during the pandemic i've been watching a lot of youtube and this is someone who's really um caught my interest so you know we've often told people like listen you know we put on some names that everyone knows you know like you get a you get a star like john cena everyone knows his name however the podcast or not podcast i'm sorry the youtube world is a whole different world it's you know and this guy is so crazy famous on youtube 
but maybe not all of our listeners know his name. And I want him to be one of those names that we say and everyone knows it because he's a great guy. He's really fun. We're super excited to have him on. But Mike Malak is on the podcast. He is the co-host of the Impulsive Podcast with Logan Paul, who is obviously super well-known on YouTube. But he has now also co-authored a book called The Fifth Vital, which is an Amazon number one bestseller. It shot to the top of the charts. It's doing extremely well. Mike, welcome. What's going on, guys? I, I, I can't. I, I haven't gotten used to all this Hollywood shit. <laughs> I got the Connecticut phone number. I get, you know, I get haircuts by, still by a barber. Believe it or not, no matter how much you make it in life, you still you still need a barber to cut your hair. There's no machine for it. I'm, we're all the same. <laughs> we're, we're all the same, but, dude, it's cool because you're, dude, you're crushing it. And obviously, as an East Coast guy, it's cool to see a guy who's from the East Coast but living out West. But, you know, you got the podcast and Paul stuff that's huge, getting great guests on there. You have the you have the YouTube series, The Night Shift, which is so interesting just to kind of see your guys' life out there. And now, congratulations, you have the number one Amazon best-selling book, The Fifth Vital. I mean, that's – dude, what does it feel like to have a book? Are you excited or what? Yeah, I mean – this book was eight years in the making. I started writing the book in 2012 after a, you know, almost a decade long battle with uh, addiction to opiates and, and Oxycontin and heroin. Like a lot of, a lot of people obviously on the East coast have share a similar story or know someone who's been through it. And, you know, I, I knew that I'd been through something. I knew I'd been through a, a crazy turn of events in my life. And so I just started writing and fast forward eight years and, you know, the platform is here obviously. And I've, We've got the podcast. I've got the show, the, the YouTube show, and the porn star girlfriend, and all that. <laughs> so you know, now all of a sudden, it makes sense for it to come out. And um, I worked with a, a really, really powerful partner on it. This this uh, woman, Riley Ford, and she 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 ran the ball across the across the goal line. And dude, I didn't know what to expect. I knew I knew people were going to think the story was crazy, but I did not expect it. We were. We were hoping and praying that it broke top 100 on Amazon, and when we saw it start pressing towards number one, I was like, "Yo, this we we got something here." It's, That's it's the coolest part about it because it shows you how the industry has changed. You know, now here's this guy who is not a you, you know you don't consider yourself a celebrity, but you are in some ways, and it's cool to see someone who's a YouTube star who's doing their own stuff and like, dude. You're obviously making a big impact in Hollywood and showing these people who we thought were the executives and the people that knew it all, but showing them that they really don't know it all. And you guys, meaning the social media stars, are really the next generation of stars. So it's really cool. And honestly, me and Dax were talking about, we ordered the book and we wanted to like talk to you about the book, which we are going to talk to you about the book and some of the stuff that's in the book, but we haven't even been able to get the book yet. <laughs> Dude, this is fresh stuff. This it's, is fresh stuff. You guys got like one of the earliest interviews about it. <laughs> I mean, is it a great time to drop a book with everything going on or is it harder? Because like guys like us, we ordered the book, but Amazon, it just hasn't delivered yet. But are you, are you happy that they came out during this period? They got to print it. It's like, dude, the, the, the book world is a weird place. I mean, I knew nothing about it. I didn't know what to do. All I knew was, so once I started getting close to, to finalizing the book, I started having conversations with like literary agents and they were trying to sell the book to the big publishers, right? And I haven't, I haven't talked about this story at all yet. I haven't talked about the how how this book launch went and how it all came to be. But I started having these conversations with literary agents, and they're like, "Oh, listen, we're gonna go and we're gonna sell your book for you to a big publisher." And I'm like, "Oh, that sounds great." And they're like, "Yeah, we're gonna get you like ten, fifteen thousand bucks, and then of course you'll have to pay that back." 
with your 8% royalties that you get on the back. I'm like, hold on a second, what? I put 10 years of my life into this book and I bring my millions of fans over to read it and you're gonna give me 8% of the royalties? Fuck that, I'm not doing that. And so I, and so I had to change gears and go into this self-publishing vertical and I worked with a really, really strong you know, partner that's, that's done it 65 times in the past and has already done New York Times and she knew everything, how to do all the proofreading and all this stuff, but this, but this, but the spaces, sorry, I was getting a note that my internet was unstable. Let me, let me know if I get, if I glitch no, out. No, no, you're good. How could internet be unstable in that house? How is that even possible? Bro, <laughs> don't, get me, don't get me started. We have been, we have had so many internet issues. It's crazy, but um, the, the, the book thing is just, it's just weird. It's a, it's a prehistoric space. Everybody's digital now. Everybody's doing video. And this strange, you know, environment still exists in the book world. And, and, you know, once I was able to get it done and get it on the Amazon, it was just turning on the heat, dude. And that's all it was. I mean, I turned, I, I, I activated, I had so many markers out in this city. I've only been here for two years. And I had so many favors owed to me for deals I brought in, you know, protecting someone's name in this situation, making it like whatever, whatever it was. I called every marker in, bro. And so when it was time for the book to come out, yo, get Kylie Jenner's best friend to promote it. Get, get, you know, get it here, get it there. Get Austin McBroom, the Nelk Boys, all of these massive people who, by the way, reach more people than Brad Pitt, reach more people than Matt Damon, reach, you know what I'm saying? So, dude, I dude, totally we, agree. We're, we've seriously been talking about this. Like before we got on the air with you, we have been talking about how like, this whole industry is so fucking upside down where we're sitting here and we're praising the Brad Pitts and the George Clooney's of the world. But I'm like, they're not the ones that are bringing in the masses anymore. They're dinosaurs it's, now. It's, Nobody cares. Their get, story's been told. And when you got the Courtney Cox joining Instagram, now Instagram feels old compared to all the people that have been doing it for a while, the young crowd, the people that are really driving traffic these days. And we're sitting here, and that's why we literally looking at you like, can we get him? I'm not sure if we can get him because we look at you as you are like the next level celebrity. You are the next generation in Hollywood. And it's almost like Hollywood hasn't realized that yet. Yeah, it's wild. I mean, and it, it's it's there's different levels to it too. And so you never really know, like you'll have somebody that has 20 million on TikTok and 3 million on Instagram and they may not convert. And so from a business standpoint, you never really know what you're going to get. But I knew very early because of the subject matter that I talk about and the connection that I've created with my, my fans personally, that when I activate on something, it's going to, it's going to go, you know what I'm saying? So like, obviously I've ne I've been completely transparent with my fans since day one, completely authentic about, all of my struggles, whether it be addiction, whether it be mental illness, whatever. And we've created a, a really solid fan base, very similar, similar to the fan base that Logan's created for himself. And so um, I, I, I still, I wasn't sure. I was like, yo, it's a book. This is an outdated medium. Like, how is this going to go? And the thing just absolutely took off. And I, I remember waking up one day and I'm like, I wonder how the book's doing. And I checked the list and I'm scrolling up the list from the bottom Cause I, I went down to 20 quickly. I'm like, maybe I'm down in the twenties or thirties or fifties and I couldn't find. So I started go, scrolling up and I scrolled past Michelle Obama. I scrolled past John Grisham. I scrolled past Stephen King. And I'm like, all right, just stop scrolling. And I get to number two and I'm like, how the fuck? <laughs> how is, is that possible? It's so insane, dude. That is, 
There was only one person that had to me. It was that damn Twilight series. And I was like, all right, I can't beat that. I can't beat that. But you, you know what, dude? Here's the coolest part, and I totally believe in it. You, know, you look at the success, you know, as far as your book is more about your, you know, your your sobriety and your kind of your journey to where you are now a little bit. You know, last year, one of the biggest books of the year last year was uh, a personal development book, David Goggins, which was a self-published book. So it's people like you and Goggins essentially are changing the, the way the business is kind of created, like saying, fuck you. We don't need a publishing company. You need us. You have an outdated medium. Like we don't PR wise. It's like, what are you, what is a publishing company going to do for you that you can't do to yourself? I mean, listen, you want to do interviews. You could get yourself on interviews. There's nothing that you can't do that you can't do yourself. And it's, it's, it's essentially, it's more money. And it's, it's not just the book industry that's dealing with it. R- rappers, musicians are dealing with that now. Like, why do I need to sign with a label? I could just do it myself. And make more money. Yeah, and make a lot more money. I mean, honestly, it's, it's mind-blowing to know how little <laughs> rappers and artists get of the money that comes in for those songs. And it's the same way in the book world, if not worse. The book world is easily the most outdated program. And um, I still gave up a very big chunk of my of my revenue on the book because there's still a ton of lifting that has to go on on the self-publishing side. All of the, all of the same stuff, the proofreading, the editing, the beta readers, the cover design, the photography, putting it on Amazon, all the advertising, all that stuff still has to be done. And I knew I have this show, I have my show, I have Logan's business, which, which dwarfs mine to, to help him run. And I knew that when the, the writer that I worked with came to me and said, yo, I can either help you write it and you can handle all the back end shit. I said, listen to me, take what you got to take. I need you to take this ball and run it home get it across the, the goal line for it. I could have took 100% of all the revenue. I could have. I just personally didn't have the time for it. But, I mean, I've been talking to um, Dan Bilzerian pretty much daily over the past couple of weeks as he as he's starting to write his book. So he'll be the next one to go probably. And he's had a ton of questions about self-publishing versus traditional publishing. And he, he knows Goggins and, you know, was talking about the numbers Goggins did in, in last year. And if you're a famous person, if you're a celebrity in 20, in 2020, 2021, whatever, it just doesn't make sense to traditionally publish it. They can't, there's nothing they can do for you. Except yeah. For, except for, I, I cannot put my book on a bookstore shelf in Malaysia right now. You know what I'm saying? Like I want yeah. Malaysians to read my book. I want the people in New Zealand to read my book. You know what I'm saying? Fight a sure. kangaroo or whatever to get to the bookstore. Like and I can't I can't do that without traditional publishing. But that's that's the that's the best part of this. No one's going out. No, who's going to a store anymore? Where you go to get stuff is Amazon. So your book is in the perfect spot. No one's going to a Barnes and Nobles anymore. You know what I'm saying? So like you did it the the perfect way. Yeah, hundred percent. And I, I like to think that. And it's already I mean, when when you traditionally publish, they they own your they own you. They yeah. literally own you. And not only do you only get 8% on the back end, but they own the rights to your story. Like yeah. if, if CAA wants to sell my story to be made into a movie, which is going to happen in the next three months, I have to ask the publisher's permission if we can tell this, like, this is my fucking life you're talking about. Yeah. Why, why does a publisher have any say in how I tell my story? And so it, I was not about any of that. I, was, I would have rather seen this thing flop and hit three three you know buys then giving someone else the power over my life and and for me to get eight percent on the back end i was like no way so and now and by the way now they're 
Now they're all knocking anyways. Now they want to play ball because they see that I've already done number one and they're like, yo, we could blow this up. Okay, go blow it up, but I want 50% on the back end. Do you know what I'm yeah. saying? I'm always, don't talk to me. I have yeah. a question for you. When you st- so you said you've been working on this for about eight years. How much of it did you physically like write down or was it notes that you took or what was it? What did you take to Riley at that point? I wrote this whole book. I yeah. wrote this. I truly can say that I wrote this entire book. I, I've always been a very gifted writer, decent linguistics, pretty good vocabulary, and just know how to tell a story. When I brought it to Riley, it was three, cha- it was four chapters shy. So 35 chapters, it was four chapters shy. I was like, I don't know where this book ends. Like, where do I stop it? And it needed a massive reorganization. It just, there was, there are parts that were out of place. I needed someone to strategically come and take a 30,000 look down at the project, 30,000 foot look at it and tell me what I needed to do differently. And then I needed somebody to run the execution of all of the minutiae that comes along with publishing a book. I mean, I mean, these things have to be read a hundred times for, for proofread. Like I'm tr- I have a YouTube show that, or <laughs> YouTube channel that does three to five, but like I don't have time for all that shit. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So I had to bring her in to help on all that stuff. And she also was part of the creative process. Like if something didn't make sense or she wanted to rewrite on a certain line, whatever she would do that. But no, I wrote this book and I, and, and to be honest with you, that's one of the, that's one of the reasons why it stands I believe versus other influencers and other celebrities who have done books because the majority of them worked with a ghostwriter. They transcribed, they told their story and someone else wrote it down. This is, this is from me sitting at a computer with my hands covered in tears to a point where I, 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 I couldn't continue typing because of how it was burning my soul to talk about the content matter in this book. And you can, and you could feel it as you read it. Yeah. Well, you can see, you know, just in the way you talk, the energy and the, you know, it's such a passion project to you. And I, and again, I'm just guessing, but the money's great, but it's just a matter of getting the word out. It just feels good. Just get it out there and kind of tell your story. I mean, I heard the interview you on Impulse when you even talk about the book, you get emotional about your story and your journey. And also it's kind of like you've, you're almost at the finish line, because, but you're not at the finish line because you have so much more life to live. But it's just like, damn, look how far I've come. And for me, it's actually very inspiring because, you know, we're roughly the same age and we're both East Coast guys. And to see what you've done is pretty crazy. And just hearing your journey with drugs. Now, I never really had a drug issue, fortunately. You know, I've did my I've, I've done my shit, but it's never I've been around it just as much as, you know, we're East Coast dudes. I've been around the opioids and everything like that. I still know people that have insane issues with it that it's just I've lost a lot of people from it. And when did you know it was becoming a factor in your life? Like, you know, I think roughly around what age were you starting to see things starting to change in your life? I mean, I was 17 years old in 2000 and in 2002. And I would consider that kind of to be ground zero for the opiate epidemic. This was when Purdue Pharma was absolutely burying cities in prescription Soxycontin. And, and like, let's not, let's not sugarcoat it. The entire opiate epidemic is attributed to one brand and one drug only, and that is Oxycontin made by Purdue Pharma in Stanford, Connecticut. One pill, one brand created an epidemic that continues to kill 60 to 70,000 people a year, which is one of the leading causes of death in this country. It's depressed the average or median life expectancy. 
because of how many people are dying. More, more Americans have died from this epidemic than World War II and Vietnam combined. I mean, this is a, a story that's not being told. And so in 2002, when I was 17 years old and in high school, these drugs absolutely devastated my town of Milford, Connecticut. And, you know, I watched the people above me go through it. I watched the people below me go through my entire graduating class. But, you know, at first it was, it was something we did, you know, I, I had been through a lot of traumatic accidents. I, I had had opiates in the hospital and I realized that they made me feel calmer and slowed my own anxiety and other mental illness that I dealt with in my childhood. And so when they hit the streets, I didn't think twice. And I, I tried it once and it was a horrible choice. But before you knew it, I was caught up in this, in this just horrific addiction to opiates that probably really started to show my senior year of high school. I was a kid. I was 18 years old. Um, I would be in, you know, second period of, of high school shaking and, and sweating uncontrollably, vomiting. And I wasn't the only one in my school. There was a, there was a, a, a large percentage of my graduating class that was addicted to OxyContin by the time we graduated. And, um, and then from there, it was just, it was off to the races. You know, once Purdue per pulled the pills back off, they finally realized that they'd overmarketed, oversaturated, and put out this dangerous pill. It was too late. And by the time they pulled it off, people moved to heroin, and then heroin became fentanyl. And you have Mac Miller go down. You have, you know, everything that you've seen uh, to, to today, you know, up until today. And so um, I was there in the beginning. I was there when there was no conversation. There was no task force. There was no DEA watch out. There was nothing. It was just me, my three friends, my three best friends, and this pill that people were trying. And, you know, we, we got caught up and made some bad decisions and it led to a decade long uh, struggle for me. And I'm, I'm lucky. I'm the luckiest, you know, I'm, I uh, can't count on both hands the amount of high school friends or elementary school friends that I've uh, stood next to their bodies. You know what I'm saying? I've been to all the wakes. I've been to all the funerals. I've hugged all the crying moms. He, he had stopped a year ago. What happened? First time back, fentanyl batch, dead Christmas Eve. I've been through the whole, the whole, all of it. And I'm, so I'm lucky, you know, and, and you know, I'll, I'll, a couple of my close friends from, from elementary school, they're still in the, they're still struggling with it. So, um, I was young, man. I was young when I got started, but, uh, and it was a long fucking ride. <laughs> so what, what was the moment that you were like, this is my rock bottom? Cause I always find that to be the most interesting story. We had Brandon Novak. I don't know if you know who Brandon Novak is. His story was fascinating. Cause he said he was at rehab for like the sixth time and he was digging through a bin looking for a pair of used underwear so he could have a pair of underwear. He said, that was the moment that I realized my whole life was fucked up and I needed to get clean and sober. Like, what was what was that moment for you that I'm like, you're, I'm not going back to this shit? So mine, mine is two pronged, and the first one is 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 obviously is just a crazy situation, and I, I attribute a lot of it to that. But when I was um, in like two in 2010, when I was at my worst, I started smoking crack, and someone had introduced crack cocaine to me, and you know, like we've always looked at it as an inner city problem, but honestly, like the way that this epidemic worked, it just dragged all this stuff into white America. And, and, um, in my town, we saw this, we saw crack cocaine show up and I had tried crack cocaine and in, in, in the weeks leading into that, my grandfather had started to get very, very sick. He had Parkinson's, uh, disease. He had dementia. He was my mother's best friend in the entire world. And, 
she was unable to put him into a home. They were going to take that. The state was going to take the house. She, she was working and she needed help badly. And I'd hurt my mom so many times beyond what I could ever explain in a, in a show, like just broken her heart. She had already grieved my death and there was nothing I wanted less or there's nothing I wanted more than to, to, to do good this time, to make her happy. And she asked me if I could move in with my grandfather as he, as he died essentially and, and take care of him and make this transition peaceful and, and, and help out wherever possible. And so I had to like change diapers and feed them and do all these, these things. And um, I knew I probably wasn't cut out for it. And I wasn't going to be able to do it, but I so badly wanted to help my mom. And so I, I did, did good. I did good. But there was one day where um, he would sit in this recliner all the time. And there was this one day where he was down there and he was, yelling over and over again, help me, help me, help me. Um, he couldn't get out of the chair. He was stuck in the blankets. He probably had piss and, and, and feces all over his, you know, it was just a disaster. And um, I was in the attic smoking crack and I was too uh, paranoid and too scared uh, to go down and help my grandfather as he begged for help. And I mean, th it, that demoralized me to a level that I can't, I can't, uh, really insane. And yeah. so that was, that was kind of part one. And I, I, I marked that in my brain. I noted that and, and realized that I'd already, I mean, by this point, this is, this is eight years into addiction. Now I'd already accepted death. I'd already accepted all the collateral damage that my addiction was doing to other people. I accepted it, but that was one thing that I never forgot about. And then maybe three months after that, um, I, I, I was on probation. I was on court order probation. And about three months after that, that day, I, uh, the probation center I was at changed my probation officer. And I thought nothing of it. I'd given, I had, I was always a good talker. And so every probation officer that I gave dirty urine to, I would have the same excuses. Oh, I'm going to do better next time. Uh, I had a falling out with my mom, uh, a lot of stress from this, stress from that. And they would give me chance after chance after chance. And in, in 2010, I got introduced to my new probation officer, this woman, Ellen, in Milford, Connecticut, Milford Probation. And I went to her for the first time. She said, good to meet you. She gave me a cup to pee in. I peed in the cup. She called me back the next day and said, hey, your, your, uh, your, your, came, your, your pee test came back positive for benzos and opiates and cocaine. Uh, don't let it happen again. I'm just telling you right now. And a week after that, or two weeks after, for my next appointment, I went back. I peed in the same cup, gave her the... The, the cup, the results came back the exact same way, all three drugs. She called me the next day after I took the test and said, hey, listen, Mike, your test came back for benzos, cocaine, and opiates. Um, tomorrow morning, you're going to come into the office and you're going to surrender yourself for your five-year jail term. You're going to do your five years in jail. Um, or you can go to detox tomorrow. And I said, no, fuck that. That test is wrong. I, you misread it. I didn't do drugs. I want to take another test. I want another try at that. And she said, tomorrow morning, Mike, I'll be waiting for you. Hung up the phone. I looked at the phone. And I said, what the fuck just happened? And she, my probation officer pulled my card. She said, you're done. It's not going on anymore. And luckily it was a combination of life events like my grandfather and someone saying, yo, your run's over. And I went to rehab and I went to detox first for five days and spent the most 
disgusting five days. Where, where, yeah, how was that detox experience? Where either I was in Connecticut, and what was the vibe? Is it what's the difference between detox and rehab? Is it this, is it two different things, or you know? Yeah, de- detox is your medical portion of the okay. of the experience, and so after being on OxyContin, heroin, prescribed methadone, Xanax, crack cocaine, I was drinking a liter of vodka a day. It, I, I I needed 24 hour supervision for the first seven days after I stopped using drugs. That's detox. That is where you go to see people turned into the lowest being of this world. It is, it is where muscle brain mind are broken are snapped as you try to rid yourself of the toxins that your body has become completely dependent on. And so I spent uh, five days at SCRC in New Haven, Connecticut. It is a inner city state supported detox. It is a, it is not a fun place. You're next to not very fun people. Um, I spent five days, you know, throwing up on myself, shitting, pissing my, the bed, horrible tremors, nightmares, sweating, all of the things that every addict has vowed to never do, I did. And then when I left there, I went into a, a, a 45 day, or sorry, a 35-day uh, longer-term treatment facility for, for, um, to, to start to re- rediscover what life is outside yeah. of alcohol. And you, so ever since rehab, you kind of – took a you know total turn and been sober are you completely sober or completely clean and sober now i've been clean of all drugs since june 23rd of 2010 and so i'm coming up on 10 years in in june but throughout that time i ran my own plan and there were times in there where i was i i always had known that alcohol wasn't my drug when I, when I went, I had a couple drinks and I took that first risky drink that you should never take as an addict. It didn't make me want to use. I've, I've always felt like that part of my life has been removed from me. It makes me sick to my stomach to think about the things that I've done in my active addiction. Disgusting, disgusting things. They're all in the book. Um, but for some reason, I got kind of complacent when it came to alcohol. I would go out once or twice a week, especially in LA. I would have a couple of drinks. It never turned into any issue. I never drove drunk. I never did anything stupid. It was always this kind of relaxed thing. And to be honest with you, I could still be doing it. But in the beginning of this year, or sorry, at the end of last year, I realized that it was keeping me from operating at the top of my game. Those, those two days a week where I was uh, spending sleeping late or nursing a slight hangover or whatever, it, 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 it messed me up. And it messed with my, my, my creative, it messed with my ability to perform, and it messed with my money. And I don't like that. And so in two, in, on January 1st of this year, I made a decision to give up booze completely as well. And so now I'm completely clean and sober of everything. And I, Dude, yeah, that's so – I got to imagine that's got to be so tough with all the temptation. I mean, here you are. You're dating a porn star, but you're also all around – you know, Logan's uh, Logan's a good guy compared to some of like the other guys that you know, as far as the social media stars that are around Hollywood, and, and just not even social media stars, L.A. You know, being around so much temptation, in L.A. It, are you finding it difficult to be sober in L.A.? Um, in the beginning, it in the beginning it was because I had gone through little spurts before where I'd go sober for like a week or two, and in the beginning it is. But for me personally, being 
uh, a very social person. Oh, shoot. We got upgraded by the host. Nice. <laughs> Baller. So, me being like a really like social person, like I started to realize that um, my – I have what it takes to be like outgoing and social without alcohol. And I realized that alcohol actually slows me down. I think so many people turn to alcohol as like this like – uh, thing that opens them up and makes them uh, loosened up to talk. And I think for a lot of people it is, but I, I, I urge people who are naturally uh, extroverted people and people that like to talk to check out what you really are and who you really sound like when, or what you really sound like when you're drinking. Because I think a lot of people think that it gives them this, this, uh, this opening to be more funny or to be, you know, less have less anxiety about talking to other people. But a lot of times it slows you down. It makes you slower to react. It makes your jokes less witty. It, it, it messes you up. And so once you get into the rhythm of going to parties sober, like once you can go to Bilzerian's Ignite Party sober and you can go to whatever else is going on. I go to clubs all the time and I don't drink, you know? And so it's, it's, uh, it, it, it's definitely a craft just like anything else in life that you kind of have to build and, and get good at. But once you do, your productivity and your performance is just incredible. Like you find it, you, you find it so easy to, to locate the word that you're looking for. You find it so easy to, to, you know, do so many things that otherwise seem tricky. And so um, it's, it's been great for me. I don't, I don't ever try to, I don't ever try to like push people towards doing anything. Like to be honest, do whatever works for you. For me being clean is, and, and sober is what works best. Well, that's someone who's so hyper, aware and you're a very strong personality very hyper aware because you know you know myself i'm like you alcohol doesn't really i'm a very talkative person but if i go to a party and i get drunk it takes away from my personality and it sounds like that's with you but you sort of sometimes feel and you know i've kind of go over it. if you go to a party some people that they don't want to drink but feel like they need to have something in their hand just to feel like they're part of the party but you essentially have gotten over that right Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, you could do that at first too. Grab a club soda, a lot, like with a lime in it or something like that. But now, when I first of all, first of all, I don't go to a lot of parties now. I did all that. I did all that stuff. Like right when I got to LA, I was out. Every, I was out a ton when I first got here. Some nights I would drink. Some nights I wouldn't. Some nights I would just go out. But I was at Warwick on Wednesdays. I was at Hyde Fridays. I was at every club. I was at every after party in the hills. I have done every single thing with every porn, like whatever. I've done all of it, right? And now that I have multiple verticals of successful business, of content creation, multi, you know, I have a girlfriend, obviously. I mean, at the end of the day, like what's the main reason men go out? What's the, like, what's the only, like, I'm gonna to go get out. Laid. That's the only, you go out to get laid. That's it. And so when you take that off the table, and you have that at home and when you want to get laid you just go simply go to your house it changes everything you know what i'm saying because the parties are fun but it's like if they get boring after a while you see all the same people i could tell you the crowd that they're at every single party when i go to a party i know who's going to be there i know exactly who's going to be there they're going to be holding the same drink smoking the same blunt talking to the same chicks and it's and it's you know it's just a, it's just, la is just a game of of, you know, people passing each other around sexually, people drinking the same drink. It's just, it's just a very monotonous grind to be in the LA party scene. And so I, I got 
it's fun, but like it has a it has a shelf life. Well, it sounds like yeah. your whole mind has shifted what's important. Like before, you know, you come out here, you're having fun, you're getting famous, you do the partying. But now I think because you've become successful, now it's more about the success versus just the partying. So my question, I, I've heard for many years that Logan Paul is one of the hardest workers out there. Between the two of you, who works harder? Logan. Yeah? <laughs> he does, yeah. Because And so for me to be able to say that with a straight face is crazy because we got started yesterday at probably like 9 a.m. with meetings. We filmed two podcasts. I filmed my night shift. I edited it personally. I worked on press for the book. When I say I started yesterday at 9 a.m. and did not stop, put, close my computer until 1 a.m., that's, that's the truth. Today started, it's been the exact same thing. He, he is like a, he is a robot dude. Like he, it's the only thing he cares about. I still, some days will find ways to sneak off. I always get my workout in. That's very important in my life. I take, I take 45 minutes to an hour every day. I go out, I run, I hit the weights, whatever. It's just a huge part of me. He will, he quite literally will push off everything. I mean, he will push off everything in the pursuit of being the best in the business. And, um, I've always been more of a believer of like work hard, play hard and finding that life balance. And, um, he's, he's not here for it, dude. Like that kid, that kid is a, that kid's a monster. He, he, he wants to be the best. He's as competitive as it gets. And with every card stack stacked against him in a post Tokyo scandal, he's risen to be the biggest YouTuber in the world. Again, he's now, you know, he's, he's commanding seven to 9 million, you know, views on his videos. Everybody's watching him. All the creators look to him to see what he's going to do next. It's it's his his story is wild as well. I actually want him to write a book. Is that not a lot? Like you see the real side of him. Is that not a lot of pressure to have on someone? Because you're you're a part of it. You're in the creative team. Does that not make you feel like shit? We have to go out there and we have to change the game. We have to come up with new stuff that no one else has come up with all the time. I get I, I get to cheat. I get to cheat. He, Logan um, is a storyteller who crafts these absolutely insane stories for the person to take it. I am not, I do that because you have to do that to be a good YouTuber or to be a good, you know, whatever, whatever. But at the end of the day, I am, I am truly, I've been blessed with this gift to just entertain. When I ask people, Yo, what is it that you resonate with the most when it comes to my content? And the, the, the most common answer is stick a fucking camera down, point it at you and say whatever you want and we will watch it. And whether it's um, animated, comical, humor, whatever you want to call it, I was lucky enough to be gifted the ability to simply hold a camera and make people watch what I talk about. And so whether it's the passion, the energy, who knows what it is, right? But Logan, well, he's, he's also very you connect with him a lot and you love his story. He knows that for him to be at the top of his game, he's got to produce these insane storylines and he's the master of it. He's the master of creating a short form story that you see the beginning and the end of in that vlog. And he's, he's incredible at it. And so I've learned, I've learned from him endlessly. Let me just rewind a little bit. When you got out of rehab, what were you doing right out of rehab? <laughs> it's so funny, right? To just go back. What were you doing when you got out of rehab? All right. When I got out of rehab, 
Um, I had absolutely no idea what I was going to do with my life. I had a 400 credit score. I had no car. I had absolutely nothing. I had no friends because I had to leave them all behind in their own additions as they figured themselves out. My family hated me. I had no job, no college. Education. I had nothing. I had my mom to drive me to AA and NA meetings. That was it. Like I was 26 years old with nothing. And when I, when I got out, the, the beginning of that process was about staying clean. Every day was, you know, how do I stay clean? How do I, how do I, how do I not use? How do I control the urges? How do I do this? How do I do that? And I found things like exercise. I found all that kind of stuff. But in the beginning, it's all about staying clean. Eventually that breaks and you realize, yo, I got to do something here. Like I got I got a ball now. I got to try to fucking get up the field somehow. Right. And I, I, I quickly learned that the easiest thing to do was to start trying stuff, anything. Look, look around the room and see something that interests you. For me, it was a camera. I found a camera and I was like, if I could afford a Canon 70D, I, I, I want to start taking pictures and stuff. I feel like I can take pretty good pictures and stuff. So I bought this camera. And when people said to me, yo, what do you do with that camera? I said, I am a wedding photographer. I'm a wedding photographer. They were like, what do you mean? Like, you shot weddings? I'm like, yeah, I'm a wedding photographer. I never did a wedding. I've never seen a wedding. I've never done anything. And so eventually I kept telling people that. And somebody said, I got a friend who has a wedding coming up and they're on a budget. They only got 750 bucks. And I was like, well, that's a little below my asking price, but I'll do you guys a favor. And so I, start, so I started taking pictures at weddings. And now I had a wedding portfolio of photos I'd taken. And I, I saved up a little bit of money and I, I was one of the first people to buy a DJI Phantom 1 drone. I bought a drone. And when people said, well, what's a drone for? I said, I do aerial videography for real estate <laughs> in, in weddings as well. So now you, you don't have to just get the photo package. I will follow the bride and groom down the aisle as they walk down and you can see an overview of all your guests. Beautiful. And there, and well, we only have 2,500. That's a little below my asking price, but I'll do it. <laughs> and so, so silly, I started doing that. And then, and then one day I realized, I'm like, you know, listen, you've always been a good writer. Try writing. Now I'm writing and taking pictures. And at a meeting one day, I meet this lady who works for AOL, who's, who's you know, trying to stay sober or whatever. And she says, hey, I'm launching a new hyper-local news source called Patch. It's a patch, patch.com. And every city has one. Do you want to help build your city? I said, yeah, sure. I can take pictures and write news articles. So before you knew it, I was showing up at town meetings. I met Tony Dungy. I was hanging out with all these people writing shit. And I gathered all this experience and all this knowledge. And one day there was a Craigslist ad for a company called LoveSack that makes giant people. And it said, looking for someone to help grow our CEO's social media. And I filled out this thing. He called me a week later and I said, and he said, well, what do you, what do you do? And I said, I'm a branding and social media expert. <laughs> you know, I take pictures, I write articles, and I grow people's social media. I'm an expert at it. And I looked up a bunch of brand terms. I'm like, I'm just trying to get you maximum awareness and CPC and CTR. And I just said a whole bunch of bullshit. And I met with him a week later and he said, yo, I'm going to be honest with you. You have something. I don't know what it is. I don't know if you're lying or something, but you have something. And a couple of weeks later, I started working for Sean Nelson, CEO of LoveSack. A year after that, I was a marketing manager for the, for the brand, which was at the time a $50 million brand, annual brand. And 
a year after that, I got a text message one day from a, a kid in YouTube that I didn't know or care about at all that said, hey, listen, I'm looking to get some love sack beanbag chairs. And the, and the PR team said, you got to talk to this kid. And I said, all right. And it was Logan Paul. And we had a conversation. And before you know it, we struck up a friendship. And it went from there. There's a lot of stuff I'm not talking about. Endless thousands and thousands of hours of hard work of, of – actually getting good at the shit you told somebody you were good at (laughs) all of that that stuff comes along with it but at the end of the day it was about trying new things and more than anything finding a way to exude the utmost confidence in what you're doing every every anytime you ever ask somebody how do you get into a strict nightclub i don't stop at the bouncer i walk past them Oh, you need to see my ID? Yeah, yeah, sorry, man. I'm moving. I'm moving. I'm going into the club. I don't, I'm not here to talk to you. I'm here to go into the club. Don't wait for, for the dude to let you into the club. Go to the club. Yeah. And that's what I did. I just kept going to different clubs and saying, yo, this is my club now. You know what I'm saying? And eventually, I had put enough pieces together, and I joined this club. And soon enough, you know, who knows? Like, this club won't be big enough anymore for me. And it'll be on to the next club. And some – billionaire on a boat will be like, what do you do? I, I do uh, venture capital. Yeah, but wait, you don't have enough money to do that. Well, I, this is a little bit below my rate. <laughs> <laughs> no, you got to be thinking bigger. You got to be that, the billionaire on the boat. That was a great story. Yeah, exactly. But I mean, I will, I will get there. But it's just that's – I mean, life is all about just exploring. Put your hand in a bunch of pots. Figure out what you like. Make it align somehow with what you're good at. And you've got yourself a recipe for success. And Gary Vee always talks about this balance between doing what you love and doing what you're good at. And if you can find that perfect medium between the two, then you're really crushing it. But, you know, it's just, it's just building up a portfolio. That's what it is. You know, I didn't know at the time. At the time, I was just looking for stuff to do. I needed money. But when, as you go, you, you start to realize, holy shit, whether it's, whether your first move was taking pictures and then your second move was making cupcakes for bake sales at your church, I guarantee you there's a digital medium that wants to see pretty pictures of cupcakes. You know what I mean? It's just the fact that you're in, find your combo, find your niche. I did did food blogging because I was obsessed with food and I was good at taking pictures and writing. And I started a food blog and it became a massive fucking food blog. And I did it for a few years because it was just something that was interesting to me. And so it's, it, it's, you just got to try stuff. If you, if you sit there and you get your liberal arts degree and you think, okay, at some point I'll probably get a job. Like, it's just not enough. You got to get yeah. out. You got to try shit. Yeah. You take massive action rather than just talk about it, You actually have to actually do it. And then things start to happen, you know, and you start to go down different paths. I mean, so what, do, when people ask you what you do for a living, you, I guess you just say you're well now an author, but you're a YouTuber. Like, what do you, what do people, how do you describe your, how do your parents describe what you do? I don't even know. I mean, that's a good, that's a good question. I mean, I, I'm sure my mom would be happy enough to say he's still alive. Um, <laughs> oh, obviously, they're they're both intensely proud, and and that makes me super happy. But I, I guess I would say I'm a, a digital entertainer, um, but that really doesn't cover it because I'm an author now too. I, I really haven't thought about like a title for it yet. Um, but I, but I do hope that it continues to be someone that inspires people and someone that, um, makes people feel like they 
can get through what they're going through. And that's, and that's been the biggest thing that I've been able to take from this whole experience has just been whatever it is about my voice or my story or whatever it is, people relate to it and they, and they, or they see inspiration in, or they take inspiration from it. And just the feedback that I've gotten on the book and on the podcast from these people who have felt like they weren't going to be able to make it even one more day and, or they couldn't stop cutting themselves or they couldn't stop shooting up or whatever it is. And them telling me that my story or my book or the way I spoke about depression or anxiety made them feel like they could go one more day here. That's been, that's been the most immense gift that I've been given. Like it's like the security financial, like all that stuff has been great. But just knowing that it's not one of those situations where somebody's like, yo, you could have a really big impact on the world. Or if I play my cards right, like I could save somebody's life. Like this shit's happening right now. Like right now people are reading the book cover to cover and saying, yo, like I could do this. I could do this. If I get cleaned up, if I stop shooting up, if I stop sniffing cocaine or whatever problem these people have, I can put one foot in front of the other long enough to build something for myself and, and, and be more than I ever thought I could be. And, uh, that, that makes me feel, that makes me feel good. It makes me feel like a comp, like I've accomplished something while, while I'm on this spinning rock, you know, do you feel that YouTubers get the recognition they deserve? Like, and I just mean in general, cause like, I'm wondering like now that you are a number one bestseller, Amazon, do you feel that it takes something like that to get people's attention? Because it's almost like when we sit here and we talk about celebs, you know, both Adam and I worked at TMZ for years and years and years. We covered every celeb under the sun, but it was like the second we would bring up someone that's a YouTube star that we feel that we are genuinely fans of, it was almost like, oh no, they're, they're not, we're not going to cover them. So do you feel that you get the recognition that you deserve? Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's always been like an ongoing like conversation, especially between me and Logan as to like where he, for example, cause it, you know, it's, it's obviously been a lot of him the whole time. Cause he's massive. One of the biggest celebrities in the world. You can't argue that where he fits into this puzzle, you know, and the way he or I get treated at parties by traditional celebs, the way we get treated by publications, the way we get treated by television, it's all, it's all very transitional. It's all very like new and people are, are still trying to figure it out. I think within the next couple of years, it, it, it'll be a lock done deal. The internet is what drives all of the culture. The internet is what drives all of the conversion. You know, Brad Pitt can't sell a product. These kids are the ones that do all of it. It's all, it's, it's, this is it. This is, this is the new celebrity. This is the set of celebrity now. You know what I'm saying? And there's no, there's no, nobody can argue that. I think it's still new and it's still happening, but I think that there's a lot to be said of the amount of work that goes into this, these projects. I think, I think when you watch a Logan Paul vlog, which is, you know, six or seven minutes long, you think that it's this kid, you know, coming up with this random shit and he's got this little crew of idiots. The reason why all this stuff works is because he wor he works at a level and works with people that are at a level that are of the utmost professional quality. Okay. I mean, like normally you, you have a Logan Paul say it was Brad Pitt back in the day or, who, or whoever it was, they show up on set, they know their lines, they deliver them. They walk off set and they're the biggest celebrity in the world. Logan writes the movie, directs the movie, 
is it a part of the editing process of the movie is the is the sole arm of the promotion and distribution of the movie it is like we are not and logan is not and david dobrik and 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 austin mcbroom and all the other people we're not a- actors and entertainers we are studios we are studios we do all of it from the cinematography all the way down to the editing and the subtitles, all of it. And I understand it's not as, it's, it's obviously not as glamorous. The final product is not always as glamorous as a Hollywood movie, but there has to be some recognition and something to be said about the amount of work that goes into these projects. It is, it is a lot more than, than meets the eye. And so I think that, that traditional celebrity talent is probably dramatically overstated or over-recognized and YouTuber and digital influencer talent is probably still dramatically under-recognized. It is, it is, it is quite a lot to recognize trends, recognize what's working with your audience, apply that to how you write your next vlog, how it's shot, all of the different styles, all of the different, how you, the SEO in the description, how you're going to launch a brand off the back of it, how you're going to, I mean, Logan, Logan's relaunching Maverick, which did $50 million in 2017. Like these are, these are not, it's, it's stuff that's not talked about enough. It's, it's a wild place. And so So, I, so no, you don't get the credit is basically what it comes down to myself. I've been, I've been pretty, I've been pretty lucky because of my content matter. Yeah. And, and people have been great to me. I lo- you know, Logan obviously has had, has bared the brunt of some pretty nasty people and he's done some really dumb shit and has deserved a lot of the, a lot of the stuff that he's gotten. But I do not believe that the YouTubers or influencers as a whole get the, the credit they deserve for the craft. Hey, Adam, I, I agree with him. Adam, I, I'm I, guessing your light bulb went off the same time mine did. You said that uh, you are. It, it was interesting how celebrities treat you at clubs and events. How do they treat you? So, it's, so obviously, there's just a there's a set of parties in LA. There's there's traditional Hollywood parties where, and I've been to those before, and I don't like going to them. Where you'll see the you know the people that we've been talking about on the show today, like they'll run into wow Susan Sarandon and those kind of people for whatever reason I'm not huge on going to them because they're they're very you know highbrow nose up affairs they really are they're everything you think they're going to be unless you run into the cool celebs and there's a ton of them there's a ton of really cool celebrities a ton of really cool artists you know like we've we've met everybody from you know Drake is really cool in person he, he'll spend time talking to you the we uh, Abel from the you know the weekend obviously is dope like all these people are cool people they're really cool people but Generally, when they congregate, it can turn into a situation where it's not as fun as you would think it would be. The parties we go to are generally filled with YouTubers, influencers, porn stars, the, the, the more rowdy crowd. And so, you know, when you're there, Logan Paul is, is, you know, he's the top of the, he's still the top of the chain. You know what I'm saying? And so it just, it really depends on what crowd you're talking about, but when you do, when you do start to mesh in with the movie stars and the and the A-listers, they either pretend they don't care or they truly don't really care about an internet celebrity. They just, don't. yeah, they just don't, dude. They're working with Warner Brothers. They're getting massive checks for movies that are getting global recognition. And yo, I'll be honest with you, these people might be on a TV show that everybody watches, 
But I'll tell you what, not as many people as watch Logan Paul vlog. Yeah. <laughs> no, no one's, but no one's talking about that. And the vlog costs a lot less money to make. A lot less money. And that's the part that that's the crazy part about it. It's show business. Show business. At the end of the day, it's got to make profit. At the end of the day, Logan's creating a show that costs pretty much absolutely nothing. Where these production companies, these studios, are spending millions, hundreds of millions of dollars for shows that literally are getting. Not even one percent of the views that Logan gets. It's crazy and it's insane. But uh, I, 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 but it's interesting because you know, again, like Dak said, we we both came up with TMZ and TMZ when TMZ first started, obviously it was covering a lot of LA nightlife, the cameras outside all the clubs like Warwick and stuff like that. Now I know we're in quarantine now, but nightlife isn't the same in LA. There's no one's really going to like clubs or, or at least these A-list celebrities aren't really going to clubs or nightlife anymore. How have you seen nightlife change in LA over the years? Do you still see like these young Hollywood stars like the Leo and those guys run around or is it more of these social media stars like the TikTokers or are people just not even going out? They're just having these crazy, very private house parties. It's a mix. House parties are a culture in Los Angeles. House parties are a massive culture. The parties in the hills, houses getting rented on Airbnb, whatever. And so I think, you know, generally when I see A-listers out, it's at, it's at house parties. It's at, you know, like probably the craziest party I've ever been to was uh, Kylie and Stas, Stassi threw a, a Halloween party. And we were, I was at like that bottom rung of acceptable level. <laughs> I'm, so I'm cl really close to Stassi. She helped promote the book. I love her. She's absolutely incredible. And so she, her and Father Kells put me on the list, and I walked in, and I was with, with Faze Banks. And we go to this party. I'm dressed like Spider-Man. Banks probably doesn't even have a costume because he doesn't give a shit. And so we walk into this We walk into this party, and, I mean, within minutes, it's like there's Alesso talking to French Montana. There's Kylie right there. She's, you know, with Stassi and – uh, I, you know, the music's playing and I'm, I'm, I'm chilling. I'm starting to dance a little bit before I know it. I turn to my left. I'm dancing next to Chris Brown dancing. And so it's like, this is crazy. And me and Banks go to the hallway and he has to, Banks has to go to the bathroom. So I'm just chilling, just talking to him. And honestly, like, it's one of those parties where I'm like, yo, I want to stay with my homie because like, I'm like nervous. <laughs> and you know, marshmallows there. And it's like, everybody, everybody's there. And I see these like, Boots coming down the stairs, I'm like who the, who is this? And I don't know where it's Drake. And I've always talked about like, yo, like I'm gonna meet Drake, like I'm gonna have this run in with him. And the first thing I notice, I'm like, this dude's big, bro. He's not a small dude. Like you think he's like this like singer and this like light rapper. He's a big dude, and he bulked up yeah. the last couple of years. And somebody like him, even if he's you know five eleven or six one or whatever it is, he's eight feet tall when you meet him in person. Nine feet tall because fucking Drake. And as a massive ode and a, and a homage to this conversation we're having right now, he walks up to Banks and daps up Banks. <laughs> and, 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 and goes, yo, what's good? What's good? Says, what's up to him? And, and they talk for a minute and walk away. And I go, and, he, and Banks looks at me and goes, <laughs> what? So like, yo, as much as the A-listers are – you know, they'll like turn their nose up or act like they don't know either dramatically or, or, or intimately know themselves what's going on here or they have kids. And if they have kids, they've heard the names in their house. And so then they're just like happy to be like, oh my God, my kids watch all your stuff. But it's, it, the tide's turning, you know what I'm saying? And it's, and it's, and I think like, you know, as you watch all of the, 
A-listers scramble to TikTok now in this massive exodus over to the to the you know quick form channels as they try to keep up with Charlie and and Addison and all them. It's happening. You know what I'm saying? And so it's it's fun to be in the driver's seat where like you're already at the top of the top of it and you don't have to worry about replatforming, you know? When you see Drake at a party, does he have his bodyguards with him or is he just chilling alone? Not at this party. Okay. I would assume normally they would all have there was, so I think Chris had his bodyguards with him, but this party dude was, there's a lot of parties in Hollywood where you, if you know anybody, or even if you don't, you can just walk in if you know where the house is. Like it's, it's one of those, this party was like, dude, you weren't even getting into the inner gate to get to the gate, to get into the house. You know what I'm saying? So it was like, it was cool because it got, it gave you an opportunity to talk to everybody freely and you know, but like every, I mean, and our whole crowd, like all the big dogs were like Dobrik was there and his whole squad and, all the info, all the um, Instagram influencers like Stasis crew and and all of them, and so that was a party where I was like, "Damn, dude! Like, we're like here, we're out here in a major way." Dude. Hey, dude, I get it, man. It's one of those things where it's like growing up. It's like you never thought, especially you. You I mean your life changed with one email, you know? Uh, and all of a sudden, you see you're you're around these people. Like, fuck, I'm in the game. My, I'm in the question, biz. So like, this when is you're crazy. In this party, is there an unspoken rule of like? don't bring out your phone or because all these people are Instagram famous and like doing their things. Social media is their life. Do people whip out their phone and start taking photos? Hell no. No, there's a photographer there. And dude, that scenario of asking for pictures in the, in a, at a list party is the most like the last thing you ever, once you get to that level, the last thing you ever want to do is be the person, unless you're so big. Like if Drake walks up to David Dobrik and says, let me get a picture. <laughs> that's the dopest moment ever. <laughs> but as you play in this like moderate area, the last thing you want to do is be a fanboy. And so there was only one time I was at, I think I was at Bill Zarin, one of Bill Zarin's Ignite parties. And I randomly in the right place at the right time with no one around ran into Scotty Pippen. And I was like, dude, like, I watched you my whole life, bro. I watched you and Mike control the court my whole life. You're like the the like everybody else freaks out when they meet, you know, whoever. But for me, I was like, damn, Scotty, number thirty-three, Chicago, this is crazy. And I go up to him I'm like, yo, Scotty, I, I hate to do it. I hate to be this guy because I never do it. But I was like, is there any chance I can get like a quick picture with you? There's no one around. Like, can I get a quick picture? And he goes, <laughs> nah. <laughs> I was like, I just, that is the most horrible thing that's ever happened to me. Like, I turned around and walked away. Like, I was so sad, dude, that I first of all that asked him, but then also that he said no. He didn't even say no. He said nah. And I was just like, I was like, this is horrible. This is so embarrassing. And from then, I told myself, yo, unless there's a professional photographer there, I'll never ask for a picture. Because, like, the dream is, like, you walk into a party, photographer, someone that you've talked to before because that's the other thing like if it's somebody you're meeting for the first time like you meet drake do you want the first thing you say to drake who by the way you if all things go well you may work with in the future or may do some business with him in the future whether it's a gaming team or a podcast do you want the thing he remembers about you to be you holding a phone in front of him taking no so it's uh yeah there's definitely an unspoken rule of do not ask for pictures with other celebrities unless you're bigger than that. <laughs> when you go to like the YouTube, like the social media parties, is that kind of mayhem? Because everyone's walking out their cameras and vlogging and just, is it just like ridiculous or what? Completely different scene. Completely different scene. I mean, the biggest parties on that side have, have always been the, the phase parties. And 
you know, when, when, when they had that house up on Weed Lake, which they just got rid of. I mean, that house was so, it was a $30 million house, nightclub in it, like massive situation. And that's where you would see the, the crowd um, be more YouTubers, you know, you know, Riley Reed and her whole squad and all the Instagram influencers, you know, all the, all the ones that, you know, everybody follows on Instagram, all the different girls would come there. But then when you're there in the funniest way, you're now the Drake of the party. You know what I'm saying? And so you (laughs) picture with somebody like, unless like when I, when I first started meeting Dobrik, like I always thought it would be a dope ass Instagram story, but I would never ask him because when he shows up, he's the man. And like, there's this top level that when they show up to the party, everybody, you know, is looking at, you see, you see the camera start to pop out. Like, like, Oh my God, it's Logan Paul. Oh my God, it's David Dobrik. And, and, but I was never going to be that person because I was already like when I showed up here and started on Impulsive and started being in his in his stuff. Even though I always had a smaller audience and a smaller YouTube channel, smaller Instagram, like I was already like I knew what this was going to turn into. Like I was already trying to create and put myself into a place where the culture fucked with me. And so the last thing I ever wanted to do was take a picture. But there's some people that do it all the time. It's just kind of it's just not people don't like it. <laughs> yeah. Well, is it you know again I've been fucking watching all these it's so interesting because again i'm in new york so la is a totally different because everyone has these houses new york like it's not here yet you know we don't have these apartments where there's a bunch of youtubers living together la that's what the 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 that's where that's what it's turned into is it you know have you been to the hype house and like what's the vibe there's a weird dude i mean and i say it's a weird because we're, you know, you're not an old guy at all, but you're a little older than all these other people that are fucking doing it. Is it weird when you walk in the hype house and these people are doing these fucking corny dances? I don't want to say corny because I'm probably doing them in three years. Listen, I've been I've been extremely adamant about the content that I don't like. I you I will never do a TikTok dance. If I do a TikTok dance with Logan, it's being complete idiots. But if you ever if you ever <laughs> Where I'm doing a TikTok seriously, please find me and punch directly <laughs> in the face, bro. <laughs> bro, like honestly, like, and I and I don't hate on it. I don't hate on it. And by the way, kudos, congratulations to all these people that are racking in 50 million. I've seen some of the videos on that channel with a billion views. You're telling me an eighth of the planet has watched it. I don't know what the, is going on with the TikTok numbers. I, I'm not. A, I don't believe in any of it. I have always wanted to create a brand for myself that it, the culture likes and that can spin off into clothing, into books, because people truly feel like they're getting the real me. That's all I've ever wanted to do. I've come on, I came on the scene and I wanted to be real. And I've met all, I, I've never met Charlie, which is surprising because she's from Connecticut as well, which is so yeah. from Greenwich. And but I've spent a decent amount of time with Addison, you know, out at parties and stuff like that. And they're, dude, they're all cool. I've spent time with um, uh, Bryce Hall, a bunch of the other, we've, we've gone on vacations to get like our trips together for like content and stuff like that. We've been to Miami and all these other places. Listen, they're all, they're, they're kids and they're doing, they're doing a great job. It's just like, it's weird. It definitely is weird for me when I walk into like the situations where you're at the TikTok house and like one of them, like, pulls out a beer and they're all like, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, I'm like bro, 10 years ago, like I was, I was trying to shoot. Beer. 
<laughs> and I'm looking around and I'm like, I can't, I'm like, I can't be I can't be here anymore. This is too, this is too strange. Like I shouldn't, because there'll be parties where they'll show up. And even though they're 17 years old or whatever, they'll show up to the party. And mine and Logan's stance on it has always been like, good to meet you, get away from me. Like, I don't want any of that. I don't want anybody to take a picture. I just do the kitty shit. I hope you crush it. You and Ryan's toy time. I'm big fans. Like, do your thing. <laughs> like, I just, I just want to make real content for real people. And um, I respect them. I think they're crushing it. But I also, I just, like – there's got to be a shelf life on this shit. Like, that's a thing. That's the thing I wonder. Can the TikTok actually last? Especially, I think the dances were an issue for TikTok, where it's not really helping it. It's that's people like, oh, that's what TikTok is. It's all about dancing. How far can we just keep doing the dances where people just get exhausted from it? That so, I believe that TikTok truly democratized mediocrity. You, you, anybody. Anybody in the world, and I'm once again, I'm not taking away from their top stars. Charlie, great dancer. Addison, great job. Great whatever. But anybody from the bottom of the barrel to the top of the world is has the same talent on TikTok because you, you all you got to do like there's some great dancers there. There's some comedians that have been using it properly. But when you're taking someone else's song, a dance choreographed by someone else. And combining it in front of a forward-facing iPhone camera, you, it's got to be limiting the creativity that's going into this shit. And I've seen some creative stuff there. But how long does it last? Where do you go next? If I'm Charlie D'Amelio or I'm Addison or I'm one of the other big dogs, I am right now locking down my brand message, locking down who I apply to and who I want to watch me, and I am re-platforming as much of that audience to YouTube, to a place that's not going to go away, to a place that it supports your, your differences, supports like who you are as a person, and people can actually spend time relating to you. And some of them are doing that. Some of them are creating YouTube channels that will have a lot more longevity, because I honestly, like, even the TikTokers will tell you, I don't think TikTok's going to be around another 18 months. Like, this shit is, this shit's got to have a shelf life. Do you think those kids are actually paying for the houses they rent, or how does that work? Investors. There's VCs and shit that have purchased these kids. A lot of these kids have signed away a percentage of their, of their existence on this planet to VCs that house them. Once again, amazing job to the venture guy. Wait, wait, wait. So they are, they're signing away whatever money they make on social media? But not all of it, but there have been smart managers and smart teams that have gotten ahead of the curve, signed talent, take a percentage of that revenue that comes in as a result, and that's what pays for the houses. And, and then the managers make money off of it. It's, a, it's, it's the same scenario as any other part of show business. This city, as much as, much as it seems like it's built upon entertainment and personality and all that stuff it's business just like anything else and i get to see that i get to see the the t ins and outs of the top top level of it because no no one has commanded more interest and business uh um infusion and and collaboration requests than the kid that sits next to me i mean i mean the biggest dogs in the entire world the billionaires everybody especially prior to tokyo and obviously things have changed a little bit since then, but 
I mean, in those days leading into the end of 2017, I mean, we had some of the biggest venture capitalists and, and business guys in the entire world just, just foaming at the mouth to write a $50 million check to infuse this company. And so it's like, I think, I think people see a bunch of little kids, but this city is, this, this is the real deal. This is the real deal. It's just, I mean, there's, you look at shock studios and what Johnny and Sammy have put together and it's like Warner brothers 50, 60 years ago. I mean, these are going to be the companies that are starting now that are going to be the studios of the future. And, you know, I hope that Maverick and, and what we're building here is one of those as well. And, and is mentioned the same way, but people aren't stupid. There's a lot of people making a lot of money off the backs of 17, 16, 15 year olds right now. I dude, I, you're, you're preaching to the choir, man. I believe in it so much. I just think it's, the, the times have to change soon and it's going to it's just there's a lot of dinosaur it's it, it blows my mind because like i see it it's like i'm seeing what's going on it's crazy i have few last few questions because i'm just i'm a fan um you guys recently went to miami for the super bowl you guys went on a plane it was a bunch of uh other influential influential people that are on social media from the Nelk boys to some of the tiktokers and it's fun to see you kind of fuck with the tiktok people and call them the tiktokers and shit i love it who pays for a jet like that? When you guys all got on that plane, it was a private jet. Who pays for their private jet? Brands, brands usually like anytime you get a conglomerate of, of millions of followers, like once, once you get to a place where you're like, yo, this plane currently has a quarter billion followers or subscribers on it. Brands are, you know, a hundred thousand here, a hundred, they'll pay for it. You know? So I, if you look back at the stories, I think we shouted out one of the, uh, like hotel, like hotel companies or like real estate companies that gave us housing. There's, there's like, there's a lot of like mid-level people involved in this industry that you'll never hear about, but that make more money than maybe even than us running these like, like strange shady deals. You know what I'm saying? Like, yo, 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 like I've got a hundred influencers that are about to get on a plane. Like you could, pay for the plane and give me a hundred thousand on the side and I'll get all of them to post. And they say, wow, that's, it would usually cost me 6 million to get all of these people to post, but you're going to leverage your relationships to get it done for 400 K here's $300,000. And that person walks away and the influencers get nothing but a free plane ride. There's a lot of bro. This is a shady city. You know yeah. what I'm and, and the influencer, the influencer uh, portion of it is the shadiest because it's so new. And so what you saw, especially like five, six years ago before the studios and before the big brands got involved and, 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 you know, it started to be controlled by the same people that control traditional, which you're starting to see as, you know, Facebook and, and YouTube makes all the rules and all this stuff happens. I mean, five years ago, people were making millions. And I mean, I mean, I, I, Logan got into some shitty deals. Everybody has where people just made buku dollars off the back of influencer. And now people are starting to smarten up, but, um, you know, Bray, I mean, dude, I, I think you guys would be blown away by some of the numbers. Oh, I'm I'm sure, dude. Dude, it's it's crazy, and I just think that it's not becoming more mainstream because the mainstream Hollywood just keeps uh, sort of politicking their own agenda and saying, no, 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 we're right. You know, we're not going to put you guys on the mainstream media because we're going to keep saying, no, our agenda is right. These are the real stars of the world and not put you guys in that name because they're trying to keep their – relevance that's fine the way we look at it is that's absolutely fine like thank you so much for you know even considering us we appreciate it we're gonna go i won't speak for myself but other people at the very top we're gonna go back to our money printer now and we're just gonna keep printing money so like have your shows 
have your 220,000 viewers. We're going to have our 7 million viewers and we could coexist. Like have a good time sticking to your guns. Have a good time saying internet and influencer is not the wave. And we'll, and we'll command Super Bowl sized audiences for our shows and reap the benefits of it. You don't want to play with us and don't do it. You know yeah. what I'm saying? So like this isn't me speaking, but I, I've had enough conversations with the big guys and obviously at the end of the day, we still have a boss and that's Susan at, at YouTube. We, I mean, there's a lot of stuff I wish I could show on my channel. I can't. There's a lot of money I should be making off the ads that run on my, on my 5 million view videos that I'm not getting. So yeah, do we still, are we still slaves to the system? Are we still, you know, is, is YouTube still the, 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 my boss? Yeah. But <laughs> we're starting to see that change too. And in six months, we're going to be having a full breakdown conversation on OnlyFans and, and what that's doing. I am watching girls right now making 150 to $200,000 a week. <laughs> a week, bro. When I tell my girlfriend that I like the Panamera Sport, the turbo one, it's like 300 grand, she only has to post a couple pictures on OnlyFans to buy me one. <laughs> Amazing. And I told her not to. And so please, if, if you're watching this, Lana, don't buy me a fucking sport. <laughs> but, but like, the OnlyFans is the, is the new thing. And I, I don't even know if I'm supposed to be talking about it because maybe they want to keep it. Who knows? I don't no, we, we've been talking about it a lot lately. I feel like that really is like the new medium that's really driving a lot of money in, driving a lot of fans to it. It's crazy, man. It's crazy. Well, and, and, and listen, rightfully so. Like, why should why should someone else be eating 90% of the ad revenue? Like, we're doing all the work. And so you're saying just simply because you have the platform, you're going you're gonna to take 90%. So, like, yo, kudos, shout outs to all the OnlyFans girls right now that said, I'm not going to give all my money to somebody else. I'm going to take the money. And, and I, I love it. I love it. And I, I hope that a lot of uh, YouTube creators and a lot of other creators on other platforms that are, that are slaves to the platform will start to, you know, do their own thing. And we've, you know, we've, we've been down that road a million times here and Logan, Logan is driven by other things besides money. And so he doesn't care all that much. His big thing is I want to be seen by as many people as possible. And no matter what you say at the end of the day, you know, YouTube's got whatever it is, 2 billion, you know, active <laughs> users. And so if you want your product to be seen by 50 million people, it's going to happen on YouTube, unfortunately. And so we're just, you know, it's, 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 uh, it's, it slowly but surely is becoming just another traditional outlet, you know, with the big dogs eating all the money. I have two last questions. My two last questions, the Nelk boys, I've been watching them. How are they when you go in that? Is it are you nervous to walk in the house with them, or is it scary? Are those guys just crazy. What? Would, how would you describe them? Um, they're not. They're not. They're not at all. They're. They're. It's almost like they turn that on. They. They obviously can be. It's within them. You've seen it in the videos. But, but Kyle, Kyle, so Kyle especially is kind of the business brains of the whole organization, and he's he's incredibly smart. He's got his finger right on the pulse of what's hot and how to convert. They are crushing on the clothing side like nothing I've ever seen in my entire existence on this planet. 300, 400,000 concurrent users on the site. Doesn't even make sense. Doesn't even make – there are $100 million annual brands who will never see that traffic in the ever. The Nelk Boys will have 400,000 people on their website sitting there waiting for clothing to drop. 
and every single one of the people will buy it. It's, I've never seen anything like it. Kyle's done incredibly well with branding that, that, that situation. Jesse is, is more on the entertainment side. He's that really relatable guy that everybody likes and everybody sees a little bit of themselves in him. And then Steve, yeah, Steve's a psycho. Steve, <laughs> if, you turn the cam- if you turn the cameras off, Steve will still shotgun an entire liter of vodka. Like he, he's a lunatic. So, and, you know, obviously Bradley's, you know, Bradley Martin's become really close with those guys. Th- those guys are awesome. I truly, I mean, they help promote the book in a big way as well. I've been a, a really close with them and, and they're awesome, awesome people down to earth. Um, there's a lot of cocky, arrogant um, people in this industry. And those, those kids have not, a, not an ounce of it. They never will. They'll be, they'll be kids from, you know, little town in Canada for the rest of their lives. They're just, they're just good people and, and, and really awesome to be around. So, and then my last question, if you had to pick any of the groups, any of the cliques, any of the houses to go to and hang out with, who would you pick? Uh, I thought you were going to say to go to if you left Maverick, and I was going to say I'm not answering that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, those guys are really cool. I, I am, a, a, as, a, as a video game lover and as a lover of culture and people that know how to brand and build something beautiful, I have been and always will be a fan of FaZe Clan. Um, they have built a literal empire off of an idea of two kids from New York being Banks and Tommy Temper. They've built an empire that is now funded by Jimmy Iovine, is funded by Offset, by Cardi. Like these dudes have built a a machine that is so insane, and 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 it hit at the exact time when esports became everything. Um, that you know, there's a lot of perks as well to hang out with those kids or oh, they've always got an insane house. It's always upwards of $30 million. They're, you know, a, a group of young kids that just have way too much money. And there's always a ton of, you know, beautiful at, at the times that I was going out and partying and stuff, there's always a beautiful, a bunch of beautiful girls there. And it was a great time. And on a personal level, I mentioned banks earlier and uh, me and me and Ricky at face uh, banks are, are incredibly tight. I've helped him through a lot of shit. He's helped me through a lot of shit. And, He's a, he's a fellow East Coaster from Lowell, Massachusetts, and we're loud, boisterous. We don't give a fuck, and so me and him are are very aligned in the way that we approach things. And so if I if I had to hang out with anybody, it would be Banks and, and the FaZe guys. But of course, more than anything, I would hang out with my crew at the Maverick House. So. <laughs> so, so I got my one last question. What are you going to give Logan for his birthday next year? Aw, dude. <laughs> that was such a tragedy, dude. <laughs> <laughs> that was all real i know so now you have to step up your game like no other for next year are you planning now do you want to know what the funny answer to this is he told me the day before that that he does not want a birthday present he said the best thing you can give me is no gift just be around hang out make sure nobody pranks me because it's april 1st it's april fool's day just be my friend and i said I got the gift that's going to change it, man. Like, uh, uh, this is the one that changed it. I, my, the ego in me was like, yo, you're going to, he's going to love it. He's going to talk about it. Like, he's going to be so happy. Next year, he ain't getting shit. <laughs> not giving him anything, bro. <laughs> yeah, I probably won't even be around for his birthday next year. I'll take off, dude. So good. Well, oh, dude, Mike, it. man, congrats on everything, you know, on the YouTube series. On, on the journey on being sober and this book, man, if you haven't 
if you haven't bought it yet, haven't went to Amazon yet, please check out this book, uh, The Fifth Vital. Find them on Instagram at, at HeyBigMike. Uh, this guy has lived an insane life, and I'm really excited to see what you're, what's next for you because uh, you know you can actually hear in this interview the passion of everything you do, and I, I think you're going to bring a lot of passion to whatever project you pick next, man. This book, I'm excited for it to come in the mail. Make sure you check out this book. Mike, thank you so much, brother, man. I really appreciate it. There's very few guests on our podcast who we actually want to keep on the phone. And I think it's very sad we have to get up, but we're like, fuck, we have kept him on for like an hour and almost a half. And I loved every second of it. So thank you very much for joining us, buddy. Thanks, boys. I appreciate you having me on. And dude, we'll do it again whenever uh, something else pops up to talk about. For sure. A Media Production.